This episode is brought to you by Studio, maker of headphones that offer high quality sound with modern Scandinavian design and competitive prices. A sleek combination of style and tech, the Regent on-ear model boasts 24 hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, as well as full Bluetooth connectivity. Though, you can use the provided auxiliary cord to stay wired if old school is your thing. Visit studio at www.studiosweden.com to see the full line of studio products and use coupon code TISTHEPOD for 15% off your next order, in addition to standard free worldwide shipping. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, a podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. And if any of us sound like Rudolph tonight, it's because a few of us are battling cold, so we apologize in advance. How are you guys? I'm better than y'all. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, Everybody in my household is on antibiotics right now, so. <laughs> I think I got poor Sarah sick. She said she, she came home not feeling well today, so she's inside, like, trying to go to sleep. Hey, get it out of the way before so, Christmas, guys. Exactly. I spent the day yesterday wrapping oh, presents. But that made you feel a little better. It did. I have awesome, awesome National Lampoon wrapping paper. Oh, Very I'm cool. Share a picture of that on social yeah. media i want to I see it i will normally they'd be under the tree right now but i have two cats and i don't want them ripping over open all the presents oh gosh <laughs> so i'm really excited for tonight's episode because we're not talking about just one movie we're talking about two movies we're talking about 1966's animated film dr seuss's how the grinch stole christmas and we're talking about 2000's live-action film, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I think for the past few weeks, we've all been pretty nice and in sync for the most part, a lot of the time. And I have a feeling tonight's not going to be like that. So this could be fun. Uh, um, It'll be something. <laughs> yeah. So, Tom, how about you give us a plot synopsis? Luckily, both of these films share the same plot synopsis. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. So with the help of his reluctant dog Max, the hairy green Grinch sets out to stop the holiday from coming so that he doesn't need to deal with the happy music or audible Christmas cheer that drifts up from Whoville to his isolated mountain home every December 25th. So I think the best way to handle this is to... Briefly give our overall histories and thoughts of the animated film, because it's short and we'll probably have a little less to say, and we'll probably talk about it a lot when talking about the live action film. 
in terms of what it did right and what it did wrong compared to the animated film. So, Julia, why don't you start us off? What's your history and overall thoughts with the animated Grinch? So this is my Rudolph because I cannot remember Christmas without the Grinch, um, the TV special specifically. Um, I like I literally can't remember, so I had to have been watching this thing ever since I was just itty bitty, too young for it to register. I love it, everything about it, um, the music, the color, the it's very Seussical, and I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan, and it makes me just incredibly happy to watch. I love this movie as a kid. Um... I watch it, still watch it every year. The music is just enchanting. And um, I can't help but smile when I hear the, the, the theme song from the movie, whether it's in a store or anywhere. It just makes me pause and smile. The movie, the, the TV show has elicited positive holiday feelings my entire life and continues to do so today. Yeah, like you guys, I love this film. Uh, I think it's one of those iconic Christmas television specials just like rudolph and charlie brown and it's you know it is truly iconic the grinch is kind of surpassed his special to become like a uh you know an adjective to describe somebody who hates christmas just like scrooge did like he's bigger than his special and that has to do with how great this made for tv movie is uh i find everything about it perfect the music the animation the voices the song you know, it's literally the book brought to life. And I loved the, getting having the book read to me as a child. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember Christmas without it. And I will never go at Christmas without watching this movie at least once. Which brings us to the 2000 live action version of The Grinch directed by Ron Howard with music by James Horner and starring Jim Carrey as the titular Grinch. So, Julia, why don't you tell us what your history with this film is? So, my history with this one is uh, it came into my life a few years ago while it was on TV and I hadn't seen it before and I was like, you know, I haven't seen this, so I'm going to sit down and watch it. And... Aside from watching it for the podcast this week, I can definitely say that two times viewing this movie is two times too many, and it shall be my last. I'm not a fan. By all accounts, I should be a fan of this movie, but I am not a fan of this movie. I have never watched this movie in its entirety, including for the lead up for this podcast. I've probably seen most of it in bits and and, and clips, but um, I go out of my way to avoid this movie. I find it to be beyond the, the pinnacle definition of insufferable. And in my opinion, it is the worst movie we've ranked, and I like it less than I do One Magic Christmas. Oh, those are big words. For me, this is my version of what National Lampoon is to Julia. I, you'll find me hard-pressed to find anything negative about this film. I have plenty to give you, like pages and pages of notes. <laughs> Are you kidding or are you serious? Because part of me this whole week has been like, I think he's pulling our, he's yanking our chain. No, I'm I'm dead serious. So I remember when this film came out in the year 2000, it was a big deal, obviously. And it was a big deal for everyone. It is still, as of right now, the second highest grossing Christmas movie of all time, second only to Home Alone. So it was a, it was a big deal when this came out. Everyone wanted to see it. 
And I remember everyone in my life, like adults and children, loved this film that came out. So it was a surprise to me later on that so, finding so many people were split or downright hated this movie. I walked out of this movie and snuck in to watch halfway through of Unbreakable. Um, I would rather watch half of a movie than to have finished, finished that movie in the theater. Well, and half of an M. Night Shyamalan movie is like gambling with your life. <laughs> I did, that's why I didn't know if I liked that movie for the longest time. I do. I love Unbreakable, but yeah. They just, they just finished shooting the sequel today. I know. Oh, wow. So uh, what is your guess as to our biggest qualm with this movie? I'm guessing the biggest qualm you have with this movie is surprisingly what all the negative reviews said was the best thing about this movie, which was Jim Carrey's performance as a Grinch. While I can't stand Jim Carrey, and he definitely did not do anything to endear me to this film, he is not my biggest problem. Is it the commercialization of the Who's? Um, That is part of it. But I think if we keep guessing, we'll probably... Okay, have so no to, purpose to keep going. <laughs> so to, tell me, I'm, I'm legitimately curious. Whoever wants to go first, what is your biggest problem with this movie? I would rather wait until we discuss, until we get to that part of the show. I'm not ready to give that away right now. I want to keep our lead, <laughs> you and our listeners in suspense. How old were you in 2000? Because I can't do the math. Uh, 11? Curious. I was in the no. sixth, sixth grade. Sixth so whatever grade. that would okay. be. So you were watching this as a budding pubescent boy? Well, exactly. So part of me is trying to butt this up against like... The nostalgia factor, right? Well, not even nostalgia, but like like the age of group it's targeting with the humor. Like my kids don't even like this movie. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about the direction of this film. Because Ron Howard is subjective, uh, not even subjectively. He's a great director normally. Right? Would you argue with that? No, undeniably, he's an amazing director. I should like uh, this movie. But I'll say, I like this movie less than I like The Dilemma. Was that the Vince Vaughn movie? 2011? Yep. Vince Vaughn, Winona Ryder, uh, Channing Tatum. I think, personally, Ron Howard did a great job expanding the story to feature length. He destroyed character, the characterization. He gave us a bunch of, of characters. Of who? There was no characterization in the animated one, except of they the were, No, the characters were loving. They were very communal. They were all about the spirit of Christmas. And then we get this, this crappy film with ugly, creepy who's who are so self-indulged, and they're bullies, and they're mean, and they're awful, and they're really ugly, except Cindy Lou Who. They all look really disturbing to me really disturbing and there's nothing redemptive about this society whereas uh when we go to the original one they all come together whether they have the presence or not they're just i mean it's a great it's a great thing the 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 whole premise of the first movie is not let's go shopping let's torment a green little boy until we push him to the breaking point oh i'm mayor yeah let me torment children that is horrible there's no character development beyond a very surface level crappy uh poor community that has nothing of value to offer to anybody. I completely disagree. My main issue with this movie, if, are we getting into that? Go for are it. Are we getting into Wait. our main issue? Yeah. Uh, we're, because we're talking right now, overall plot and stuff, and then we're going to go to characters like we normally do. 
If it's, okay. a, char- if it's a character, go for it, because that could be a lead-in. But I have a few things to say about the plot. Well, it's, it's plot, and it's... Okay, so my main problem with this movie, and it, and it echoes on multiple levels, right, is that we have this beautiful, simple story in print that is, that is, it's very simple, but in standard Seuss style, it's fleshed out brilliantly with not a ton of words. It's simple and it's beautiful and it's unique. And then we have the TV special that is also very simple. It is very tight, aside from the fact that Grinch is green and not what red and white. It's literally just the book. It is just the book. And, oh, it works for me. It works for me so well because it kept tight to the thing. The special is amazing. And I'll just say this. I do prefer the special to the movie. I'm not saying that. Okay. Right, right, right. No, I, yeah, I was fully expecting you to like the special more. Okay. So my main problem with the movie is I feel like Ron Howard and Brian Grazier and whoever else was involved saw this perfect, beautiful diamond and said, you know, it would be super awesome if we blew this diamond up. If we just take this thing that's perfect and we make it bigger and badder and louder and awesome and flesh out all these characters, it will be perfect. Number one, when is that ever a good idea? ever in the history of ever to take something simple and to bastardize it like they did this story they took I, the who's I, I which see. i think the who's in the book and in the show are perfect and simple we know who they are they're perfect and simple and they gave, he gave them a backstory i don't want a backstory on the who's i don't want a backstory on the grinch who at one point he decides to He's, he's monitoring the size of his heart to make sure that it's nice and small. And that rubs me the wrong way. They removed everything Dr. Seuss from this story. They really didn't. And I'll tell you why. You're a Seuss fan. You know, I'm assuming and you've read Dr. Seuss yes. books besides this to your children. Yes. Okay. So you realize this is not the only story the Who's ever appeared in, obviously. They've appeared multiple times in the canon. Right. He didn't pull these who's are not the most innocent people thing from then air. If you'll remember, in other stories they appeared in, they were not the nicest creatures either. So it's not like he ruined, he took that canon from Dr. Seuss's world and expounded. Nowhere did they torment children. They do torment the child in Horton Hears a Who. The who's are jerks to the mayor's child. So I'm just saying, he did not pull that from thin air, if you want to get technical. Okay. I, I, it was not I part of this story like, at all. Right. But it I was part like of the Grinch, Seuss canon. I feel like the Grinch in and of itself is kind of this microcosm that, that lives in its own little bubble for me. Being a big Seuss fan, for me even. And, and at the heart of it with me was the characters were perfect like they were. They should not have been tampered with. But there was there were no characters in the animated one, and I love that movie. Exactly. I loved it more than this. Well, so, okay, so I'm going to be the moral. The animated film is more about the meaning of the story. Incorrect. Than, I I disagree, and I would say this film more than just about just about any other we've covered so far is the definition of the Linus test and the meaning of Christmas. I see. I think if you can get through the terrible direction, the 
awful acting, the ugly, cheap sets that look like facades that I would see at a third grade kids carnival at a public school. They were school. ripped right from the book, the buildings. But they look like styrofoam. The books were illustrated. The books did not look cheap. No, I disagree completely. You are so I, wrong. I think the well, set okay, the design set. is beautiful in this film. The set in and of itself did not bother me. What did bother me were the colors. So the colors of this movie immediately made me think of um, Nipples Batman. Batman and Robin, right? <laughs> Was that the one? It's the same garish colors where everything has that tenor of dark to it with like these neon flashes which is not a color scheme that makes me happy in any way. And it's in some parts of this movie should have made me happy, but that color scheme scheme endured the entire time. They took the same tones in the Grinch's cave that, and they they that's the tone of the entire movie. That tone felt totally off. Like if they could have gotten anything right, I feel like they really should have made a bigger difference between the who's down in Whoville in colors versus the Grinch's mountain. But even after they get everything taken away and it's given, you know, and then they they rejoin at the end, that color doesn't change. That really bothered me. Some color snob, apparently. But <laughs> I didn't mind the set, you know, and, and it did. It looked very much like the book to me, but the colors really bothered me. Um, yeah, I just had to go back and pull it up again. From a distance, yeah. I'm cool with the set. When they get up close, it just looks, it looks cheap and fake. It's like Las Vegas. From a distance, Las Vegas looks okay, but when you get up close, everything is just a facade. I thought the score in this film was really good. You were bringing up James Horner. Well, okay, so I, I imagine it is really a, quite a good score because for me, James Horner sort of can do no wrong. The man mm-hmm. loves the French horn or loved the French horn. He passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Loved the French horn, so I'm a friend to James Horner. But this movie is so loud that you can't even hear the score most of the time which also bothered me because, I mean, they've got a master. They have Ron Howard, a master, and somehow that went wrong. They have James Horner, a master, and that didn't even go right for me. And and I know we're going to be getting to characters and all that, but I, I just this movie is very sad to me that I don't like it because by all accounts, I should really like this movie. So the music to me is excellent. Specifically... I'm going to pull out two tracks because I have the score on my iPod, iPhone. That's mm-hmm. how much I like the score in general, separate from the movie. Maybe I'm, you would like it separate from the film. So I thought if, if I was going to just isolate two tracks to say, go listen to and just see if you would like it better separate from the film without the loud sound effects or right. whatever bothered you in the movie, listen to okay. The Big Heist and A Change of Heart. I will do I can listen to those two on repeat. I will do that, and I bet I'll like them. But I just, I just noticed how I couldn't hear it too much. And music is so important, particularly in Christmas movies, to add to that atmosphere. Okay, so I'm curious. You do know there's another feature-length Grinch movie coming out next year, animated, but still feature-length. So I had just heard that tonight, actually, from my son. Okay, <laughs> Star- starring Benedict Cumberbatch, who's going to do the voice of the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I'm really curious, since this film, you were like, you don't need the backstory, you don't need this, you don't need that, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. So, even though it's going to be animated, are you wary how they're going to expand this 
22-minute cartoon into a 90-minute commercialist feature film. I really am, but only because of this movie. It's like now I've been burned. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think a full length can work. I mean, I'll definitely see it because I'm a big Benedict Cumberbatch fan, but um, but I'm extremely wary because, again, I think that they had a good thing and they should have left it alone. Okay, so I liked how they expanded the story. Mm-hmm. I liked how they made Whoville more into the commercial things and had this little girl questioning the meaning of Christmas herself because she didn't like it and paralleled her with the Grinch who hated Christmas and didn't understand it. I really did like that aspect because the Grinch never hated Christmas, even in the book or the original, he didn't understand it. And I think it makes sense. You're expanding it to a feature film. Why doesn't he understand it? Well, because he was raised in the society that didn't necessarily understand it either. And it took this little girl to remind him and the town what Christmas really meant. And I thought that was a nice take on it. But Seuss's work did not need, that was not needed. The community was there together apart from the need to be reminded. And that's one of the great and innocent and beautiful things about it. We didn't see what was going on in Whoville after he stole the presents. Well, so in the book, it says the Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. And he says, just like, again, Anthony Hopkins narrates. I loved him as a narrator. I actually liked that about this movie. Um, But the Grinch hated Christmas. Nobody knew why. It could have been for this reason. It could have been for that reason. It's like the full length movie gave him a reason to hate it, even though that's not the reason he hated it. I don't think we needed a reason to hate Christmas by something the Who's were doing. I think we needed the Grinch to just hate Christmas because I think it's, I think that's true to life. You look at people who hate Christmas in real life, who don't like the holiday season, who are fed up with it. And one of the main reasons people say is it's become too commercialized, like the lights and the presents and the shopping and the movies and get sick of it. So I think it's a very true to life explanation that they gave him. And he, and that is why he hated it. In the book, too. You can say it's not, but he has a realization at the end, like Christmas isn't about the gifts. It's about something more. It is. I, I... So they kept the reasoning. It was the same reasoning in the book. Why he hated it. Why, he, why the Grinch himself hated it. I feel like, one, not everything that I love, especially in cinema, has to have some real-life application. You know, like I don't think they had to tie this back to commercialism. Whether that's realistic or not, it's absolutely realistic. I was happy without that. And I think with the movie in particular, it was so overdone and heavy-handed in every aspect that they were basically holding your hand saying, oh, okay, here's how I want you to feel. Come with me, feel this way. Oh, you're okay, now go that way and feel that. Now shove this way and feel that. And if a movie's doing that, it's because it's inadequate in telling the story on its own. I they had this perfect completely. story that they could have that they could have stuck with, and they could have been successful, but they felt like they had to add all of this stuff. But how else? And again, I bring I point you to the 2018 film. How do you expand a 22 minute story into a feature length without giving the Grinch a backstory or giving the Who's personality and backstory? They're not. I'm not opposed to them trying. I'm not opposed to them yeah. trying. Ron Howard failed. 
I disagree completely. It was. Oh I know. I didn't like the raunchy parts of it, and I didn't like it was, how unlikable they, they all were, except for Cindy Lou. Okay, so we had. You got to remember, this came out in the nineties when, uh, or in two thousand, two years before there was this this whole trend of of raunchy, crude, cheap, ill-gotten humor came about with uh, something about Mary. They continued to ride that wave and took a children's classic. And vulgar made it vulgar. I don't think it was that vulgar. But I, just compared to the original, it does seem extra vulgar. It is again, extra I'm vulgar watching, compared to the original. I think yeah, we're dealing. I think we're dealing. Comparison to the original as well. I think we're seeing. I think what we're seeing though is a uh, how the nostalgia factor plays into. We don't have any nostalgia at all, and there's not a single part of you or I that 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 feels endeared to this film or feels any reason to overlook anything. Right, um, Anthony's exactly. got that nostalgic feel, which I mean, I'm not discrediting, but you and I don't have that at all. Right. Which is why I was wondering also about the age, right? Um, because, I mean, you, taste changes your kid. When you're kids, your tastes are just completely different. So that's part of why I wondered as well. But I'm absolutely positive you're right, Tom, that that has a ton to do with it. Sarah didn't see this until two years ago, and she loves this film. So if you want... She doesn't have nostalgia for it, but she loves it. So or maybe it's just fun. a crapshoot. <laughs> I don't like. Yeah, I just and, and also I don't. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of cheap shtick comedy, which is all the Grinch's character became in this film to me. So let's move to the Grinch himself then, Jim Carrey. Yeah. So Tom, why don't you start off? What did you think? You just said you are not a fan of cheap shtick comedy, so you nope. don't think Jim Carrey was a good Grinch. I don't think, and, I, and it's not just Jim Carrey. I don't think the script was good. The script, the script for the, the Jim Carrey was great for the script. The script wanted sh, wanted shtick comedy. Um, you know, I can't say I can't criticize Jim Carrey for movies like uh, that he was in, like Dumb and Dumber. When I see him in um, in other films like The Truman Show, where he's given a different script and able to do more with it, um, the script in this in this movie left me wanting. Not just him, but I mean, just all of the dialogue was weak and failed to fire. His character, um, the costume, the uh, the outfit, the design was nice. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like they kept it true to the original cartoon. Mm -hmm. um, I knew who he was. I knew who Max was. Um, the 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 horn they put on Max mm -hmm. in this. I'm really glad they kept that. Um, the only thing I think that I like in this film is stuff that is directly taken from the book and the original. Well, well, that's what I was going to say too. The strongest parts of the movie are the pits taken straight from the book and absolutely the original cartoon. So for me, for me, some of the things. The, uh, my favorite part of this film is from when he comes up with the plan to steal Christmas right through the end. His actual stealing Christmas and his change of heart are the two. It's the peak of this movie. So I think when no. they had the direct material, that is the strongest part when they adapted it straight. Well, there were things he did that weren't directly in there, like um, I guess it was in the movie, but I really liked the way he moved his fingers to tap his fingers. Yeah. Um, it just looked menacing. The one thing that, that I did miss that there's no way they could have, that they could have done um, was the Grinch's smile. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's animated, swirly smile. Like you can't, but that's not again. That's not the fault of the film. You can't really do that with live action. Um, I'm sure. 
um, Jim Carrey doesn't want his face all chopped up Heath Ledger Joker style to make a smile. Yeah, I think Jim Carrey is really strong at physical movements. So yeah. I didn't mind the physical movements of the Grinch. I thought he captured that really well. I totally agree with the script being weak, though. I feel like he could have been much funnier um, because I'm, I'm kind of split on Jim Carrey. I like some of his movies very much and then other movies of his I can't tolerate at all. I can't do the Ace Ventures. I don't like Dumb and Dumber. It seems like his most popular movies I'm not a fan of, but I loved Mr. Popper's Penguins, which is a nice family <laughs> funny movie. Um, Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless is just a brilliant movie and I love him in that. I Bruce think Jim Carrey does dramatic better than comedy overall. He is, well, he's, he's got that nice mix right in the middle. So like Bruce Almighty, He's not totally comedy, not totally serious. I love that movie. Liar, liar. As far as like, as far as like crazy Jim Carrey, that's as about as purely funny as I can get. But I also really like that movie. So he can be very funny, but the script didn't work. So speaking me. of liar, liar, there's there's something reminiscent of his in his character to that as a more exaggerated uh, Jimmy Stewart. That's how I always viewed him in that film was a more exaggerated Jimmy Stewart and like his his more. I can see that. Physical comedy. I'm going to have to rewatch it now. And, and I, I appreciate him in that. I really do. Yeah, um, he was great. He was I'll hilarious say. as the Finger Lakes guy in the office. Yeah, he was. His one scene, two scenes. <laughs> I think Jim Carrey acted the crap off the end of this film when his heart grows resizes, when that realization overcomes him and he gets emotional on top of the mountain and his heart grows. I think that's a great piece of acting on Jim Carrey's part. That scene sold. He sold it to me. This change of heart, I really do. Yeah, it was a little overdone for me. <laughs> yep. Which just made me think of liar, liar at the end when they're doing all the takeouts, and she goes, "Omer actor," and he starts laughing because it was unscripted. Anyway, I don't know. I disagreed, and I think he sold. So not all of his inner, um, not inner, not all of his. Um, time alone in the cave with just him and Max worked for me. Like when he is going on a lot of his um, self monologuing, not all of that worked for me, but I think he sold this kind of guy who's kind of been cut off from society for years. And it's just kind of going crazy up there alone. I really the echo part cracked me up. I'm not going to lie of the few things in this movie that made me laugh where he's echoing in the cave and it talks back to him. That made me laugh. And his impression of Ron Howard. Oh, with Max directing okay. him as Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can greatly appreciate that. One of my favorite scenes from this um, involves him, and it's where he's just, he's in the cloak trying to walk through Whoville without being noticed. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just so ridiculous. So I like how they built him up as kind of this boogeyman of Whoville, and maybe that worked for me. Like he was kind of this... They were afraid to even say his name in town. Like, uh, not Baltimore-esque, but whenever somebody mentioned the Grinch, people would gasp and, like, get all terrified. So I like this presence. He had a presence even when he wasn't around. Like, he was this foreboding monster that lived just north of the town. I liked that part of him. Yeah, his. I, didn't, I didn't mind that. That didn't bother me at all. I mean, that, yeah, that, that seemed to make sense. It fit it. It fit in with the original. It fit in with the Sue story. I mean, he's this. This and other. like e even when he appears in town for the holiday celebration, 
just uh, the immediate rea- reaction, and he's just kind of looking around and does boo, and they all scream because they're terrified of him. I like that. I found that funny. Yeah, I didn't have a. I don't have any problem with that. I, I didn't love it or hate it. I mean, it, as far as building a backstory, that's one of the better things they did for building a backstory in this. Okay, so backstory. <laughs> you both alluded to it a million times. What was your problem with the Grinch's childhood <laughs> flashbacks? I didn't want to know. I, I mean, uh, yeah, this goes back to the explanation of why the Grinch was the way he was in the book was 100% adequate for me. So anything beyond that is just overdoing it. I don't care. I don't want to know. I'm perfectly content and happy with what I know of him from the book. Yep. That's all I need. I agree with Seuss's take. There was no reason for us to need to know his backstory. It did not in any way um, further the story. It did nothing to It humanized him. But he wasn't meant to be humanized. Part of his, that if, if Seuss wanted him humanized, he would have humanized him. And he, he did. You, you, could, you could argue at the, end, in at the, the book, end. You could argue in the book and the TV special, he, they, he is humanized partly by the fact that he even owns and cares for a dog. He cares okay. for her, he shelter. You could argue he's not completely an evil guy. So, so all that in the book that we get from his character in the book, that's enough. I, I don't think that was something, I mean, that's obviously not something important to Seuss. He didn't expound on it in the book or any of his, or it wasn't something that was important for him to, he wasn't the nicest to the dog. No, he wasn't. He wasn't the nicest to Max. So that's not really a big selling point that that's what Seuss was trying to do. I think you'd have to really be reading into the story to come up with something like that. Well, I think I'll get to Max in a second because I really liked the dog in this movie, but I'm a sucker for dogs that are really well-trained in films. Um, but no, I appreciated they showed glimpses of the Grinch's humanity throughout the film, so it's not just one epic realization, and you know he kind of has a goodness deep innate in him. Like, for example, towards the beginning, when he accidentally knocks Cindy Lou into the mail thing, and he begrudgingly reaches down to save her, I appreciated that. Or when he's causing mayhem in town and literally decides to crash the little car he's driving rather than run over the mother carrying the baby, pushing the baby across the street in the carriage. So I appreciated those little glimpses of the human side of him before we got to the end when his heart grew. Speaking one last thing about Jim Carrey and the Grinch, as a Grinch, we were talking about this before we started recording. Props to him for suffering through that makeup the entirety of this shoot. They had to bring in a CIA, former CIA agent to give him methods and how to handle torture because the costume was so constricting. So props to him. That's Again, insane. Three that hours, like, three hours in the makeup chair in the morning, one getting it off at night, full day of shooting, and the whole time, meanwhile, it's so constricting, you can hardly breathe or see through it. Like, yeah. I don't know. So I give him all the props for acting through that because the problem yeah, that big wasn't probably didn't hurt either. No, it probably didn't. <laughs> Did you see some of the other names that Dr. Seuss's widow said the Grinch had to look like the stature of some of these other actors before they settled on? So Jack Nicholson was one name she threw out there instead of Jim Carrey. Oh, my gosh. Um, I forget, honestly, what other names are on the list. Jack Nicholson was the one that stood out. But she named all these actors that kind of had um, 
the pouch belly. Like if you notice, Jim Carrey had the belly. Oh, that's funny. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like body-wise, he nailed it. He looked just like him. Yeah. Uh, Max, I liked Max. I liked that Max cared for the Grinch, despite the fact the Grinch beat up on him. Yeah, it wasn't very nice to him. I liked Max as concerned when he was having his heart attack at the end. And Max was the one who forced him to go to the holiday party midway through the movie. I liked mm-hmm. the dog. For me, it's, I'm hard-pressed to find a movie with a, uh, an endearing pet that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. I really did like the scene at the end after the Grinch's heart grew and Max was just kind of barking at him and then he ran into his arm and they kind of embraced and he looked his yeah. and the Grinch was like, let him do it for a minute. Then he was like, get off one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated the Grinch's relationship with Max and this better than the cartoon. I liked Max as the straight kind of the straight man so to speak, in this movie, rather than the comedic uh, punching bag he was in the animated cartoon. I really liked the dog in this movie. He's a very well-trained dog. He was a well-trained dog. He was actually a girl. Did you see that? It was. I think her name was, what was it, Kelly or something? That's a terrible name for a dog, by the way. Kelly. Um, we touched on Anthony Hopkins. You guys liked his narration? I did. I love his voice. I, he could read anything to me. Um, so what did you guys think of Taylor Momsen as Cindy Lou Who? Yeah, I don't really know who Taylor Momsen is. She was in Gossip Girl. That's the only really yeah, big thing I to her name. That. No, neither did that. I mean, she was fun. Her singing Faith Hill song in the middle of the movie, like, I don't know where that came from. She like, was conflicted about what Christmas meant, so she sung. I still found it out of place. Yeah, I did too. Like, I got the idea of what they were trying to I know they're, yeah. I felt like somebody else should have been singing it, not her. Because Someone really, else, no one else was questioning it besides the group. No, but, but she's, she's not questioning it in such a way that half of her wants all the stuff and then half of her is like, this feels wrong. Like, she's a pretty pure character. She's like, this ain't right. There is some other big reason. It is definitely not this. So that, can, that conflict in that song didn't work for me with her. Nope. I felt like I they agree. didn't have a good a good person to uh, to sing it, a better character to sing it, but they wanted to work it into the movie, which I think it would have been best off just left as a trailer or as a rolling credits song. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Faith Hill would have, it would have made just as much sense to do that. I just thought it would have been very out of place. I hadn't thought about that, but I really like I really think I really like that idea of still having it at the end, just well, not putting it where. You know, you'll see a movie right. and you'll be like, oh, I love this song. I love that song. Yeah, I love this song too. And I loved the scene. And I love that the end of the scene transitioned into faded away from her into the Grinch just looking really sad at his mountain alone in bed staring up at the ceiling. And again, I go back to Jim Carrey was best in his quieter moments as a Grinch, as few as they were. No, I like that's because of his physical his physical acting in that when he's able to just base on like use his facial expressions and things in this film. I like that. His his facial expressions were really a lot better than his 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 lines, um, and a lot of his shtick comedy. Well, I did. I did like his silent moment when he's listening to the Who's singing at the end, just kind of breathing angrily and heavily, staring down the mountain, like completely lost for words. That 
his mission failed, so to speak. Again, he's no words. It's just all silent acting at that moment, and I really liked it. I think it was Tom who said earlier, the hands. Everything he did with his hands throughout this movie was perfect. Yeah, it was. They it totally worked. reminded me 100% of, of the way that Grinch tapped. And that just got me the way the Grinch tapped his fingers in the cave in the animated film. They sell those gloves at Universal Studios Orlando. I have them. They're like winter gloves, but they have the really long fingers. Oh, oh really? Gosh. Yeah. By the way, everybody, Anthony is drinking out of his Grinch mug tonight. I am. Overall, the character Cindy Lou worked for me. I liked that she was the one voice of reason in this town, including the Grinch. She was the one who made this whole town and the Grinch realize what Christmas is all about. And I liked that. And I think the I think the little girl who played her was uh, really good as that sweet little innocent cute child. I don't know why she wasn't mocked. She looked like a freak compared to everybody else. I liked the hairstyle. That hairstyle's iconic. I'm talking her face. She was just a normal kid. All these other people had these weird, <laughs> creepy faces that were disturbing to me. And she just looks normal. I mean, they made fun of the Grinch. Why not make fun of Cindy Lou Who too? And there are four other there are four other characters of note in this film which just lumped together. And they're Cindy Lou's parents, played by Bill Irwin and Molly Shannon. And the mayor and Martha May Houvier, played by Jeffrey Tambor and Christine Baranski. Disappointed in all of them. Me too. And I, that kills me because I love Molly Shannon. And Jeffrey Tambor does great stuff too. I don't even think it looks exactly. like Molly Shannon. Like I wouldn't have been able to tell it was her until the credits. The, the voice. The voice did it though. Yeah. The, vo- the voice, yeah. But, I it mean, was look- 100% her, her voice. I was just waiting for her to smell her armpits. <laughs> Superstar! Um, I was disappointed by Cindy Lou's parents, but I liked the mayor, and I liked the Grinch's love interest. The, the corruption of the mayor was too much for me. Yeah, I hated the mayor. I, I, need, I, need, I need feel-good Christmas movies without political corruption. Call me crazy. I particularly liked Christine Varensky as Martha May Houvier. I like her and everything, though. I think she's a great actress. But I really liked her as that kind of, you could tell she didn't want to be engaged to the mayor. And I loved how into the Grinch she still was when Cindy Lou Who was going around asking everyone about And everyone was talking about the moment he liked her. And she was just like, the muscles. I just found her really funny. Uh, sexualizing that's just terrifying of, to think about. So the sexualizing of who's does it for Anthony. That's why he likes this film. Yeah. <laughs> um, Here's your Christmas costume next year. You can be the Grinch. Sarah can be Martha Mahoney. You know, I have never seen uh, a sexy Grinch costume. How, how do you know we don't already own those costumes? <laughs> um, I do now. <laughs> I do wish the invention she had to get her lights up on the house was real because that would be pretty sweet. That would be, I bet a lot of people, that, whoever, if somebody could invent that in real life, that would be like a, a billion dollar idea right there. Yeah, it probably would be. It would have meant that we would have lights on our upper, on our upper roof line because Marty <laughs> can't do it because he'll die. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's really steep. So I'd love to have that gun. Okay. So, do you two have any overall likes about this film at all? I like Anthony Hopkins' voice. I said, I'm sorry, I was muted. 
I said the narration and Max, and then you guys didn't respond, and there was a long pause, and I said, oh, that's it. But I realized that y'all couldn't hear me now. <laughs> but I still feel the need to give the finality. That's it. So you guys don't have any quotes? Um, there, I mean, I've got one quote that I thought was pretty hilarious. Which is? So it's where... Um, Anthony Hopkins as the narrator says he slunk to the fridge and then the Grinch jumps on the refrigerator and the Grinch goes slunk <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very funny and I already mentioned the Ron Howard scene very funny to me and the echoing very funny to me but that's about it so I like what a lot I like yeah. when he's shows up for the holiday celebration and the mayor introduces him to the two women who raised him and his face just falls and he's just like, are you two still living? I found that really... <laughs> I like that. And I liked, again... I always, like when we, I always like when we have to bring mortality into fun family Christmas movies. <laughs> and I... And I liked how he begrudgingly let them bent down to let them kiss his cheek and everything. Like, despite he was this horrible monster, he leaned That down. was sweet. And they mobbed him with that terrible sweater. No, yeah, but I like how he rolled his eyes and yet still went down like those kids at Christmas letting the ants pinch their cheeks or whatever. He still did. Yeah. And I did like the speech he has when they all gave the presents and he had nothing to give. And he was like, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's always been about. Gifts, 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 gifts. You want to know what happens to your gifts? They all come to me in your garbage. You see what I'm saying? In your garbage. I could hang myself with all the bad Christmas neckties I found at the dump. And the avarice, the avarice never ends. I want golf clubs. I want diamonds. I want a pony so I can ride it twice, get bored, and start to make glue. Look, I don't want to make waves, but this whole Christmas season is stupid. I like that. Because I feel that way. Some people get asked for tons of crap and then never even open it, open the boxes. So just out of curiosity, since you've mentioned before um, making dialogue more effective by cutting down some stuff and that you would, you know, edit stuff out in other, in other episodes we've done. Is there not some content in that one quote even that you would pare down a little bit to make it more poignant and sticking? Because I feel in like that could have been a really, in that really good quote. In that one specific quote? In no. that one quote. No, and I'll tell you why. Because at that point, he came down begrudgingly to do this whole Christmas thing he put up with the contests and the sweaters and everything up until this point and then they spring this gift thing at the end which he didn't know they were going to do and he was pissed off and then the mayor embarrasses him like rubs it in his face by proposing to the girl they all had a history together he knew the Grinch was into so at that point, I totally liked that it was more of an angry rant because he had just had enough at that point. That was his snapping point. Up and, up well, until angry, that, yeah. Up until I get that, that angry. I just mean like I feel like they could have edited some of those words out, and it would have been more poignant. Which is again the problem I think with the entire movie for me It's just too much. It's just too much. It's too heavy-handed because I don't mind the quote. I feel like 
if I had gotten it in an editor's chair, I would have edited the crap out of that thing to shorten it. But that's just me. I just well, I feels very representative. Well, it's okay. I, I would have cut the neighbors out of National Lampoon, so that's just me. So exactly. So there you go. Yeah, that's our inner editors. I get it. I like the moments that he kind of broke the fourth wall at points to Grinch, like when he was finishing the narrator's quotes and he was becoming horrified. He was rhyming. I thought that was cute. <laughs> that was funny. I and he was like, was funny. I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how? Uh, I mean, in what way? <laughs> <laughs> so I like all that stuff. And I liked this scene between Cindy Lou and the Grinch when she asks him to when she thinks he's Santa Claus, just like in the original cartoon, and she asks him, don't forget the Grinch. He may be mean and everything, but she thinks he's kind of sweet. And I like how it visibly touches the Grinch for a moment. And then he says something about how she's a bad judge of character. <laughs> but, yeah. One of my other favorite quotes, by the way, is when he's going through his schedule, talking about self-loathing and dinner with himself and everything. I like that part. But anyway, do these films pass the Linus test? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it totally passes. I agree. It's kind of like what we said with Scrooge, how the, it could be renamed the Scrooge test. Any good version of the Grinch is going to pass the Linus test, and it could be called the Grinch test. But Yeah, yeah there's no... Even not good versions of the Grinch can pass. <laughs> we see, the, we see his heart see change. <laughs> So, why don't we give our overall thoughts on both films as a whole, and then we'll grade both films. All right, so my final thoughts. Um, I did not like this new film, the 2000 film at all. I didn't like the washed out colors. I didn't like the angles that um, Ron Howard chose to film from. They were odd to me. Um, one of the things I liked the least about it, though, was the weird reaction that the Grinch had when his heart grew three sizes. It just seemed really out of place and, in my opinion, killed the entire moment. Um, the, heart, the heart attack? Has your heart ever been enlarged? Have you ever seen anyone suffering an enlarged heart? How much that painful that is? I, I have. I have. I saw it in the original Grinch, and uh, his reaction was not like that. I'm talking in real life. And a large heart is one of the most painful things you can ever have to suffer. So yeah, that's, I, that's an, but I would also in real life, a heart three sizes too small would be a serious medical condition that he should have sought help for years ago and probably would have killed him by this point. So if we're getting really technical into well, medical, he, he could, medical he, phenomena, he couldn't see a doctor because he ran away from civilization and lived above it. He would have died with a heart that small. He, he wanted to die. Well, he would have died, but he did not die. The script didn't do it for me. Um, everything about this film just left me wanting. I did not like it. Now, the original um, animated version, I still hold near and dear to my heart. The book I love, I will continue to read that to my daughter every year. It's part of our, our Christmas reading. I just You can't beat the, the lines and, and the narration and the, the actual book. Um, we didn't get into any of that. The narration and the singing and, and the entire, the, the adaptation from book to movie was, was so on point and, and hit on every level in the cartoon version for me. And those are my final thoughts. I love 
1966 version. It's pretty much flawless for me and it is timeless as well. And a lot of that harkens back to how much I love the book. Um, that will likely never change. And I'm really happy I see that in my kids too. They really enjoy the movie and the book as well, the TV special, pardon, and the book as well. The live action basically got wrong for me everything that the TV version got right. I feel like it could have benefited with simplicity, even if it was growing a storyline behind the Grinch. The way they did it for me didn't work. The way they grew a storyline behind the Who's for me, it didn't work. While it had stellar, a stellar director, score, and even actors to a certain extent, I feel like they missed all of it. And they were just so heavy handed with absolutely everything. And it felt like they were trying too hard instead of letting the story speak for itself. So not a fan. Don't plan on watching it again. Um, but I am hopeful that maybe this next version can succeed where this one failed for me. Optimistically hopeful. That's me. <laughs> How about you, Anthony? I'll keep it short and sweet. The animated film is flawless in my mind. Watch it every year. Always have, always will. It's basically the book to screen in its purest form. And I love the book. The live action film, again, it's my, it's what National Lampoon is to Julia. I'm not gonna, I loved everything about it. And in fact, there are only two films we've covered so far that I wouldn't turn off to watch this instead. So... It's perfect to me. I love it. It's part of my Christmas canon as well. So, rating the animated film, Tom. For the animated film, I am looking... Uh, so I gave Charlie Brown a 9, and I gave Rudolph a 7.75. So I think I'm going to do a 9.5. Julia? I'm giving The Grinch on television a 9.95. I'm giving The Grinch on television a perfect 10. Oh, I love that. Well, this becomes our number one television series, television show. At 9.81, it beats out Charlie Brown at 9.66. 9.67. I think that's a perfect place for it right now. I do too. I'm okay with that. So now let's all go back to not, to what we do not agree with. Agree on which will be the live action. 1.25. I'm going to give it a one. I'm giving it a perfect 10. Oh, this might you be really, the You really threat. think this... I just have to, to clarify. This movie is really as good as the Santa Claus and Elf. 100%. Those are the only three. So if I'm in the middle of Elf... And I see Santa Claus and the Grinch on, I won't change it. And the same with Santa Claus. If I'm in the middle of that and see one of the other two on, I won't change it. Same with the Grinch. But if I'm in the middle of Home Alone or Muppets or National Lampoon and I see the Grinch on or Elf on or Santa Claus, I will change to one of those other three films. So, you could just get Anthony, and watch them all simultaneously. Perfect. I, I should get that. <laughs> I, think this may, I think this may be the end of our podcast because I have to break the news to Anthony that this movie comes in under Arthur Christmas. Oh, oh, oh. thank I did you. Not do that on they, purpose, by the way, did not 
Yep. Thank you for listening and all the support you've given us. It's been a wild ride. Maybe sometime in the future we'll come back and do a reunion show. Uh, I wish Casey Mott was on the show because she wrote on Instagram she loves this film and that she her favorite part was The Grinch as a Child. Speaking of The Grinch as a Child, I've already shared it with the guys this week, but I will put up on social media a member of my family that looks a little bit like Baby Grinch. <laughs> Y'all can decide whether or not he does, in fact, look like Baby Grinch. And Baby there's Grinch a poll going on right now about what people think about the animated versus the live action. It is going up tonight. Shouldn't the poll oh, be? Sorry. Shouldn't the poll rather be? Do they like the live action at all? Because I don't know anyone who likes the live action over the animated one. I think. I mean, I, I I think the real question here is: Do you even think the live action one is a good adaptation of the animated one? Yes or no? I think Anthony's right. Pretty much nobody's going to say they like the movie better, if, even if they love the movie. I would be interested to find that one person who might, wouldn't you? <laughs> And then ban them from listening to our podcast in the future. I feel bad. I feel like it was gang up on Anthony Day. I, yeah, this is not intended, by the way. So while we may not agree on movies all of the time, one thing we can agree on is we have some, like, super amazing listeners, guys, don't we? Not even just with our social media interaction and all of that, we got another five-star review on iTunes this week um, from... 41 West commented, I love this podcast. The hosts do such a great job of adding their perspective to the movie review podcast genre. Taking the time at the start of each episode to recount their histories and memoirs of each film is my favorite part. Also my favorite part, 41 West, and really adds a uniqueness to the show. You've already covered so many of my favorites, but I hope to hear 2014's Get Santa currently streaming on Netflix. It's a comedy heist film that is a genuinely great modern take on the Christmas genre, and you'll easily find your Harry Potter connection. 41 West, you're awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for for reviewing. And anybody else listening out there who hasn't submitted a review, if you could take a little bit of time to do that. Um, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it helps us get found in iTunes searches and other searches on different hosting platforms, um, which increases visibility and makes the world a better place. So thank you if you've already done it. Thank you so much for just listening, even if you never review. And thanks, 41 West. We really appreciate it. So I do have to give credit where credit is due. I think Anthony's idea um, from the get-go of everybody sharing their histories it's probably most people's favorite part. I know it's mine. I love sharing it. And I feel like I get to know you guys a little bit better every time we do it. Oh, definitely. It's, I mean, I've said so, before, it's my favorite part. So good job, Anthony. Gold star. Tom, why don't you remind them of the collaboration we just did with other Christmas podcasts? We just joined seven other podcasts um, in a project that was organized by last week's host, Brian Earl, where we did a seven-part telling of a Christmas story, um, uh, The House of Seven Santas. If you have not done so, start at Christmas Past Podcast, um, and that will get you episode number one. Listen to number two, which is Tim, Tim's Can't Wait for Christmas, and then come back to ours and listen to part three. Um, it's a re- it was a fun collaboration, and by far um, – our biggest traffic day yet. Well, not anymore. 
at the time it was our biggest our biggest traffic day for uh, for the the podcast. Um, can I tell some other exciting news? Yeah. Go we for have it. we have ordered die cut limited edition tis the podcast stickers. We've only got 25 of them. Um, of those, eight are spoken for. So there are only 17. If you'd like to get your limited edition Tis the Podcast die cut sticker, be sure to join our Patreon. We should have those shipped out about a week before Christmas when they get back from the printer. Okay, and we'll have, a link, we'll have a link to the Patreon in our show notes. So next week, I'm really excited because we are going to be reviewing the 1996 movie Mrs. Santa Claus starring Angela Lansbury. And extra exciting, we're going to have an interview with the film's screenwriter, Mark Saltzman, um, included in our show. So I'm very excited to hear what he has to say about it and to watch this movie. I've never seen it before. It's a musical. It's really fun. And it doesn't only star Mrs. Uh, it doesn't only star Angela Lansbury either. It also stars uh, Terrence Mann and Charles Durning, who are both great as well. So. Oh, I think since this one's a little more obscure, maybe we should throw the trailer up in the uh, show notes for this week. Yes, good idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although I would, I watched the trailer for this yesterday, actually, and I would uh, just warn people, like, this is a made-for-TV Hallmark movie, so this is officially our first Hallmark movie, and the trailer kind of gives away the whole thing. So if you're going to watch the trailer, watch it for, like, 30 <laughs> seconds or whatever. Don't watch it all the way through you'll get the gist of what you're looking for. So just be warned. So yeah, do your homework. Watch that movie. It's great. And Tom, I think you have something exciting to let all of us know. I'm sure everybody knows by now, but there are only two weeks until Christmas. Yay. Yay. Which means less than two weeks until Santa visits, guys. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. I know. Went by so fast. It really did. It really has. So have a great week, guys. We'll see you next time. Let's go carve the roast beef. With this coat and this hat, I'm a gush like Saint Nick. <laughs> You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Just face the music, you're a monster. Mr. Grinch, yes you are. You got Gallagher's love, Mr. Grinch. Well, I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half a Denying.